Hey everyone, welcome back or welcome to another edition of the 20% Podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. Boy, am I excited to introduce today's guest, Mike Sorelli. Mike was a Navy SEAL for 15 years prior to his current role as founder and CEO of Echelon Front Overwatch, uh, which is an executive search firm for military leaders to find senior leadership positions from their experience. Mike and I had an incredible conversation. Uh, we covered so many topics, including navigating COVID-19 crisis, and he's in Texas, so the Texas deep freeze with a this too shall pass mentality. We also uncovered making the right decision versus the unpopular decision, reverse engineering your goals, overcoming failure and adversity, and also covered his book, The Talent War as well, which is an absolute must read. Enjoy my conversation with Mike Sorelli. Mike, welcome to the show. Dude, thank you for having me, Tyler. Happy to be here. I'm so pumped with, uh, just so that everybody, uh, to give you a little bit of a background on Mike, he was a Navy SEAL for 15 years, and now he is currently the CEO of Echelon Front Overwatch, which they focus more on executive search firms for military leaders to help find a, a job for them after the fact. So this is incredible stuff. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. But before we jump into that, let's, th- let's roll it back a little bit to the high school years. Now, um, you didn't graduate high school, kicked out of college, and then you went into the military. And correct me if I'm wrong, but your father was ex-military and he didn't want you to go into the military. What was that all about? And then for listeners who may, whose parents may not want them to, to do something, what advice do you have for those whose parents may not agree with what their, uh, what their, their plans are? Yeah, it's funny. I've got, uh, I've got two kids. Uh, my son's about to turn 13, my daughter's 17. Of course, you know, they don't listen to me, but my nephews who are in their teens, uh, they, they listen to me, uh, you know, Bad uncle, uh, bad uncle Mike. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, dude, when you're, you know, 16 to, to, to even let's be honest, like 23, you think you have everything figured out, dude. I was the same way. I did. My old man, who is is like my best friend, uh, he's he's been right about 99% of the time on his uh, on his advice, uh, but I wasn't going to listen at the time because you know I had the world figured out, and now I can only look at my pops and be like, hey. Thanks. I'm not saying you're right, but thanks. Um, so, and, and let me correct some facts here. I, I, I didn't graduate with my high school class. I graduated in summer school, but I was the only senior uh, to not to do it. I didn't do well in high school, not from a lack of aptitude. It's because I went wherever the wind blew me. And that's where, wherever the adventure was, wherever the party was, wherever fun was, that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to experience life. And I didn't have the focus in the grades, um, even though I'd proven uh, to have that aptitude before I went to, uh, to high school and even my freshman year, I lost focus and that's fine. Um, and then went to college and it was the ROTC unit that, that kicked me out um, and good. I, I don't think college was a fit for me at the time and uncharacteristic uh, to, to the general area where I grew up, I, I enlisted in the Marine, Corps, the Marine Corps. Now my dad, keep in mind, had served in the army during the Vietnam era which was a drafty military. And they led in a very different way when uh, you know, their style of leadership back during the, the, the drafty era was if you don't do uh, what we say, we're gonna beat the living snot out of you until you do, um, until you get in line. And so he, he wasn't a big fan of the army. In the army, is, you know, there, there's a lot of studies on this. And in fact, Brigadier General Howard uh, Prince, who's a mentor of mine, did a study on how the army transform, uh, transformed their leadership from a drafty military to an all volunteer force. And 
my dad didn't see me off when I went to Marine Corps boot camp. My brother and uh, and my mom did, but I ended up graduating. I think there was like uh, I'm estimating it was like 250 to 300 uh, Marines that graduated after the three months, and I was the number one uh, graduate, what they call the honor uh, the honor man, and I was meritoriously promoted uh, out of all of them to uh, to Lance Corporal, and you know. Honestly, it was the first time my dad and I, I think my dad recognized me as a man because all the parents are lined up, we're in formation. I see him, you know, about a hundred meters down, lean over the rope that, uh, you know, keeps him out of the way of our formation and just give me the fist bump. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't mean we, we, you know, we've had a great relationship in terms of agreeing on everything uh, from there forward. Uh, he is, he's my uh, consigliere. Um, he, he's, he's, a, he's a source of advice. We don't always see eye to eye. Bottom line for the kids, um, you know, you've got to break off and do things for yourself. Ultimately, your parents can only protect you for so long. Um, and if you go to college and your parents are paying, guess what? You still answer to your parents. You're They're right. paying your bills. <laughs> they can stop funding real quick and you'll find that you're on your own. So if you're in that predicament, just know that you, you still are, you, you have debt, you have to pay rent to your parents, basically, in terms of performing in college. But, you know, my parents raised us very well. They kept us, they put us in a lot of sports, a lot of instruments that I was not very, I was not musically inclined. They, they, they pushed us and um, they, they taught us self-accountability. And my dad told me, he, he started a multi-million dollar company that uh, he, he built up from, uh, from the ground up. And he said, you guys aren't getting this blaze your own trail because he and my mom had come from very little and, and you know, uh, did very well in life and set the stage for us. So I don't know why I honed in on the military um, other than Hollywood, um, which is probably the best recruiter for the military because they make like war look really cool right. and glorious and it's anything but. But enlisting in the military at the time seems like the loneliest thing in the world. When you go to boot camp, even though you're surrounded by other like, candidates, you feel like you're alone. And there were times even over at war when I was with my 40 guys, my brothers, and you feel alone. But I knew I thought my passion was there and it turned out it was. And I loved my job. And actually the hardest thing uh, I've ever done in my life is, is not war. It's actually leaving the military and starting uh, uh, a company. But blaze your own trail, man. If you think you like something, go test it. That's what life is. Uh, to, to, to paraphrase a great uh, SEAL Admiral that, that uh, I admire, he said, test a little learn a lot. That's it. That's life. And this process of life, guys, it's, you know, if you think you, you know what you want to do at the age of 18 and you're, you're correct, that's rare. You're like the 1%. Right. Great. Awesome. Okay. That 1%, we'll put it aside. Congratulations. Uh, you get to focus on what you want to do for the rest of your life. Right. But for the rest of us, normal human beings, like it's okay to, to not know what you want to do. So get out there and test a little. And it's almost like a process of elimination. You try new things, you try new professions, you explore new uh, avenues until you eliminate all these, 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 these things that you know you don't want to do and you finally narrow it down to a few things that you're passionate about. And, and I had to go through that again as I left the military as a 40-year-old retiring uh, out of the SEAL teams. So, wow. So there's a ton to unpack there. So um, I know that you, were, you obviously loved your job once you got to the military. You spent 15 years in the SEALs and then it was time to call it quits. For people who love what they're doing and they're passionate about what they're doing, um, what's your advice around knowing when to call it quits and when to try, how to try to overcome that to find what your next venture is going to be? 
You know, you see this a lot in business, uh, like startup owners, uh, entrepreneurs who have built something to which I'm like, I'm taken back. Somebody who tells me they, they, they built a $15 million company from scratch. I, I want to talk to that person. I want to listen to their story. And they were passionate about it up front. And then somewhere along the line, it, it wasn't about the passion. It was about running the business. And they, it just started leading to, to unhappiness. Or maybe he brought in other investors that for them, it was just dollar and cents. They didn't understand the passion behind the, the customer service that he brought. And it, it poisoned the company. That, that, that's sort of easy when you recognize that to, to, to go out a different way. I loved what I did in the military. Loved it. I loved being surrounded by the men and women. But um, as I got exposed to more of the political side, um, and, and make no mistake, you know, even though it was a JSOC, you're still a pawn for the overall, uh, you know, uh, U.S. government. And I'm fine with that because I believe in what we were doing. We, we were meeting evil where it lived and preventing it from, from, uh, from reaching the United States or other uh, friendly countries. Um, but, you know, I, it was the hardest decision, but I also recognized this. When I felt like I was wavering with why I was doing the job, what finally closed it for me was what's best for the organization. And even though I, I, I could outperform, I'm, I'm confident my peers, uh, merely by being in the position, uh, my passion wasn't there. And so I knew there was somebody that was younger, smarter, and brighter than I was who has the energy that could step up and do better for the organization. And basically the way I framed it was, hey, I'm no longer good for the organization. I hope I contributed. I hope I made it a better place. It's my time to go. And then that's when the darkness set in and you're like, okay, now what do I want to do? I've become a subject matter expert. Uh, I've reached the top tactical level in the military. Um, and that's not ego. That's just, that's fact. Right. Um, and, and when you become the very best in the world at what you do at the level we served and you got to start over again, that's a big hit to your ego, dude. So a lot of this is ego. It's a huge hit to your ego. So yeah, and, and I knew nothing about business. We use a very set of, uh, a set of tools in the military that a lot of them do translate, but we are some of the best strategic planners. We, you know, we, we are some of the best project managers you'll, you'll ever find. But when you talk to financial acumen, to, to the, the, the aspect of financial acumen, uh, you know, mine was low. Um, and so I said, hey, you know what? Let me go figure out what I want to do and I'll, I'll get an MBA. And I was the 39-year-old in the full-time MBA program at UT McCombs, surrounded by a bunch of 27-year-olds, which I think was the average age. And I was humbled, man. I'm like, this next generation is so much smarter than I am. And uh, I think I squeezed uh, through my MBA program by one uh, reading off their, uh, their tests and, uh, and uh, pairing up with a lot of them during uh, projects. I learned as much from the, the 27 year olds in the MBA alongside me, some of them who were CPAs, uh, than, I, than I think I did from the, uh, the, the instructors. So did they take, did they take the time to, uh, I don't know how, much, how you opened up about your previous experience with them. Um, did they take the time to ask you and, and did, were you able to give back to them some leadership skills and some some of those other traits that you had cultivated over those years? Yes. And, and so I had done this in, in the SEAL teams. I was the, what we call the, the at BUDS, Basic Underwater Demolition School, which is where you go to try to get into the SEALs. For the officers who make it through the two-year pipeline, I, I was waiting, well, not two years, but 
um, year and change, I was waiting as the director of the junior officer training course. So as a young officer, you're called a junior officer. And my job over one month was to train them to be ground force commanders, to be prepared to step into that role. And um, I, it was the most valuable tour. I love going to war. Uh, and, and if you said, hey, take Jotsi or go back to war, I, I'm going to choose war. Um, but it was one of the most rewarding tours because these young men were, were, were some of the brightest coming out of the service academies, uh, you know, public and, and private uh, universities. And they were just like sponges. So, um, you know, I didn't want to be uh, too assertive, but uh, I think people recognize me for the fact that, yeah, hey, this, this guy's led people on the battlefield multiple, multiple times. Um, and, uh, you know, I graduated, they elected me uh, as well as another woman who was just better than I was um, as the, uh, the MBAs to watch uh, for poets and quants on a national level. And then uh, I, that was the fact that I got nominated for that was, was awesome. Yeah, that, that is absolutely incredible. Um, so kind of, kind of pushing back to um, that tough decision that you, uh, that you had, I mean, when, when you were quitting, uh, and I don't want to say quitting when you were decided that it was time to, to move on. Right. Um, you know, whether it's in civilian life in combat, you, you had to make the right decision, even if it was an unpopular decision, people weren't going to be happy. You knew that they were going to be upset about it. What kind of advice do you have around the unpopular decision? Even though, you know, it's the right one. This is the hardest part about leadership. You can decide what's right, or you can decide what's best. And I'm going to tell you right now, what's best for your people is not always the right decision for the organization. The best decision will make you popular is when you make that easy, best decision, your people are like, oh, you're the best leader ever. Instead of making the right decision for the longevity and the success of the organization where people be like, oh, you, 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 you suck. Right. Um, so the funny thing about the SEAL teams is, uh, you know, if somebody fails through uh, SEAL training, they call it, they call them a buds quitter. It's actually pretty harsh, man. The fact, you know, when you look at it, like somebody actually raised their hands to try out for the SEAL teams and it didn't work out, you know, maybe, maybe they, what we call ring the bell. Um, you should applaud them for the fact that they had the courage to step into the arena. It didn't work out. I guarantee a lot of them learn and go on to do great things uh, in their lives. But even though you, you make it into the SEAL community, when you leave this, the SEAL community, even if you've served 20 or 30 years, they're like, oh, you're quitting. You're, 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 you're quitting the SEAL team. You're a quitter. And you're, it, it's just a running joke. You're like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm a quitter. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I had great leaders that, um, one, after my 10th combat deployment, the, the SEALs, they're so good at talent management. Are they perfect? No. But they knew I was burnt. And they, they, they actually gave me a very unique tour uh, in Austin, Texas for my last two years. And I was supposed to go back. Uh, to to uh, to the seals after that, and and when they came back out, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm no I'm no longer good for the organization. The previous to our, our conversation, and they said, okay, you, you've earned your keep. Go uh, submit retirement papers, and that's what I did. So, guys, if you're driven by what people think, I'm going to tell you, your life is going to be very miserable. Do what makes you happy. Now, when I say do what makes you happy, it's not at the expense of other people. Right. But there will always be haters in anything that you do. We, we like to say in the veteran community, no one will hate a veteran's success like another veteran. And because 
you know, we, we, we do a lot of, you know, leadership content on, on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of people love it. They're like, Hey, these are great videos. Uh, keep them coming. And then there's always a veteran or two who'd be like, you're a piece of, you know what, yep. uh, as if I'm selling the, the seal trident, which I'm not, uh, I'm no longer a seal man. I, I, I was part of that community. Now I'm a business leader, uh, like my fellow civilians, just trying to help drive this economy and make sure that, uh, as many people have jobs as possible, but, um, you will always run into people that will disagree with you. That's fine. Uh, if you're pleasing everyone, you're probably not doing your job. You're not, right. probably not accepting enough risk in life. Right. That's a, that's, that's a great point. I mean, I feel like too many people get so focused on what other people are worried about, but ultimately you have to do whatever's best for you and what's, you know, what's best moving forward. Um, that, that is so, that's so great. Now, you know, you're past, you're, you're not in the military anymore. Now you're back into the civilian life. Um, so many different lessons. I'm a true believer that anything that you do, you're going to be learning from. And it sounds like you're, you, you love to learn too. Now, um, previous experience from the military to now, um, what's some of the top universal leadership traits from working with these diverse groups? And then also, what are some of the top traits from that you've learned in the military that could absolutely uh, correlate right into the, the civilian world? Well, let me actually go in a different direction based off the, the latter question you asked. Like, what are those attributes in the military uh, that make the high performers and can this translate, translate into the business world? Yeah, they do. They're all the same. If I look at a high performer from the SEAL teams, a high performer in, let's say, computer engineering, a high performer in investment banking, and a high performer in, uh, in venture capital, they usually have all the same attributes. Are, are they slightly different? Are, do, do they, on, on the scale, do they fall in different places? Yes, but the attributes are pretty darn close. What's, yeah, what's absolutely gonna make you a successful SEAL is gonna make you a successful business leader. Now, the nuances may, may change, but the general strategy is the, uh, the same. So, you know, when we wrote the book, The Talent War, which I know we're gonna discuss at the end, uh, The Talent War, how special operations and great organizations win on talent, you know, each of the special operations community, the Army uh, Special Forces community, the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, the, the Navy SEALs, uh, MARSOC, known as the, the, the Marine Raiders, bunch of badasses, uh, Air Force Special Operations, they all had codified what makes a good operator. You know, being a good operator in special operations is like being a good business operator. It's like being a great business salesman, like being a great business general manager. Um, and, and so uh, they were all basically, as one uh, doctor had said, a psychologist, they were all looking for the, the ice cream, just slightly different flavors. And we took all those attributes from all these different communities and we had to boil it down because that, there was like 35 and nobody can look for all 35 uh, attributes, nor could, if you ask me, could I identify 35 attributes, uh, you know, whether weaknesses or, or, or strengths. Right. Um, and so we boiled it down to nine and the nine are pretty powerful. I mean, we talk about drive, drive is required for success. It, it's, it, that is what I would consider an essential ingredient because if somebody's not driven, when you're not around, they're not gonna go the extra mile to make sure the job gets done. Right. Uh, integrity. Integrity is either what we call a no-go criteria in the military. It's either a no or it's a go. You either have integrity or you don't. If you don't have integrity, or even if we, we, we get a, a, a slight feeling that your integrity is off, we're not gonna bring you into the organization because you'll end up being the senior exec, executive who makes it to the top, pulls an end rod. Um, effective intelligence. This one's interesting. 
we talked to both business leaders and high-performing military leaders, and they both said they looked for intellectual horsepower. But it was actually, actually the military, the special operations side that said, we actually look for intellectual horsepower, but actually a specific kind called effective intelligence. So what they found is there is a baseline score that special operators need to pass to qualify to get into the training. That's just to qualify. Right. And they found that increasing levels of intelligence beyond that don't equate to higher performance. Now, would you rather have somebody who I'm picking on Harvard here? I think Harvard always gets picked on because they, they recruit very bright people. Being bright and having common sense are two different things, though. <laughs> um, so a very bright person would say they have a, their IQ of 130, or I have this guy with an IQ of 100 over here. And this person with, with the 130 IQ from Harvard just goes very deep, very detail-oriented, devils in the details, but to the point of paralysis through analysis. Right. And they can't move quickly, and they especially can't operate, even though they're extremely bright, can't operate in a volatile, volatile uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment. Yet this person over here with 100 IQ, who's far off, can apply what intelligence they have to solve real world problems for which no book solution exists and then convert that effective intelligence into execution and action. That's what all business leaders want. Right. And what a lot of business leaders found is in COVID, because remember between 2015 in 2019, before COVID hit, we were in the largest economic boom in the history of the U.S. Right. Everyone's a genius during a bull market because consumer spending is up and most likely you have cash coming in. Right. Um, but when COVID hit, they recognized that they didn't hire people for character. This is certain businesses and that their people were ill-equipped to deal with the chaos and the, the fear. And that's okay. Um, so... Those attributes, ultimately, you know, if you buy the book, you can find all nine. Um, resilience, um, you know, talk about team ability, the, the, the ability to put your uh, desires and needs aside for the overall good of the organization, which that should be mandatory for every position. That's right. ultimately when, what you want. Even in roles of individual contributors, ICs, you still want an IC. And ICs, uh, you know, contributing to the overall victory of the organization. And you got to find a way to to screen for that. But um, ultimately what people need to do is they need to identify what attributes are required for a role they're hiring for. It's not gonna be saying, let's say you're, you, you, you're a manufacturing company, you've got a sales force, you've got somebody on the, the, the factory line. The attributes are gonna be different for those roles. They require different attributes, but you still want rock stars in every position on your team from the brand new guy to, to the top, uh, top leader. Wow. That, that is incredible. There is so much, there's so much to jump into. Um, you mentioned COVID and uh, I know we were having a conversation prior, prior to um, just to let everybody, let, let everybody know Mike is also in Texas and uh, the time, time of uh, recording today, today's the 24th, but of February, but you guys just came overcame some of the, some tough times with, with the deep freeze that happened. Now it seemed like a bunch of chaos, a bunch of, uh, you know, some people were, were freaking out about it, but I'd love, could you tell everybody how you handled that, what that situation looked like, and then how you also um, look at COVID as well? Because you took some, took some of your skills from the military of assessing the situation and, and kind of getting through it, but could you explain pretty much what you told me earlier? Because that was incredible. You know, the, what we're really looking for 
in the special operations assessment selection, whether again, you're trying out for the Navy SEALs or the Army Green Berets, is we're looking for somebody who has the ability to, they're, they're emotionally intelligent, as, as, as the business world calls it. They have the ability to control their emotions, again, during the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous uh, situation. Um, and when COVID hit, you know, no, hey, that affected everyone. It did. And I know it isolated some people from, from you know, if they lived alone, that, that's, that's harsh. But when COVID hit for my, my peers and I coming out of the special operations community, it was just sort of like a, sh a shoulder shrug. Yeah, we're worried that, hey, this, this could you know, claim a lot of lives and unfortunately it has. Um, but when it comes to operating in a COVID environment, the goal is still the same. Maybe the constraints have tightened up. Maybe your left and right lateral limits uh, have, have narrowed, but you've got to find a way to innovate and adapt to operate within that complexity and still achieve your goals. And so we are very, what we call mission oriented. And this is a good trait to have is we're gonna do whatever it takes to, to get the mission done. Uh, we always used to say in the military mission first, troops always, when we say troops, people always. Right. We care about our people, every business should. But yeah, when, when, when this deep freeze hit, um, one, I gotta hand it to my wife. Um, if, if you saw my wife, she very much, you know, uh, is, uh, she, she's that beautiful blonde with, with the, the Louis Vuitton. And, and I'm like, oh man, how is she going to actually deal with this? Uh, whether she was a champ, she actually had a better attitude than, than I was. Cause I was a little upset, you know, we were supposed to have rolling blackouts, but it was rolling blackouts without the rolling. So they said, Hey, you're going to oh, lose wow. uh, power for, you know, 10 to 40 minutes, uh, and then get it back. And, uh, we ended up not having power for, uh, 72 hours. I think the coldest it got in our house is 36. We got under blankets and we kept moving and we tried to make the best of it. Uh, uh, since we didn't have much food when it hit, we were, we were scrambling with what we could. Um, I think we hit a 7-Eleven and found our dinner that way and threw some Vienna sausages together with crackers and made the best of it. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we knew we were lucky. And again, it's a shoulder shrug. We're like, hey, this too. Always remember in hardship, if you can remember this, this, this phrase is this too shall pass. I mean, that's life, man. The ebbs, the ebbs and flows of life, this too shall pass. When you start seal training and in all, uh, again, I'm, I'm blanking on the, on the amount of weeks. I think it's like, uh, 27 weeks is the initial, uh, hard part, um, before you really transition into the training part. And when you start you know, 27 weeks or, or so of training and you're in week one, two or three, you can't even see the end. And, and that affects a lot of people's mindset. And so you constantly have to remind yourself during, you know, times of hardship is that one, the instructors have to go home to their families every night as well, for the most part. Um, they, they've got to take a break too. They can't be awake 24 um, seven. And this too shall pass. You know, uh, they, they're at the end of the day, you know, they're running off a training schedule and they're going to shuttle you to different places. You just make it through each, each evolution. When you're hit by hardship, create micro goals, small goals. Just don't, if you're going to run a marathon, you don't worry about fixating on the, uh, the, the, the last step across the, the finish line. You break it into maybe for a marathon, like six phases. Hey, I need to run this first, uh, you know, uh, you know, was it four miles in, in, in this, this much time, which means I need to make it to here. And so you set those small goals and that way you focus on just the next evolution. Hey, it's still 38 degrees in my house. 
let's get breakfast. That's what we have to get. What are we gonna do to secure breakfast? What do we got? Do we need to get in the car and drive the icy roads? Let's just get through this and we'll think about what happens before lunch. Wow. So. So are you very goal focused with everything? Do you try to break down everything you're doing into those small micro goals or is that just in the tough times as well? You try to do that during the good? Yeah, it's so, this, this is, it's ingrained in us. They teach us something called reverse planning. Much like an engineer gets a product, he will reverse engineer that right. to either create it or create it better. We do the same thing. We start with the end goal and then we, we reverse plan, uh, breaking down the steps that we need to accomplish in order to, uh, to reach that goal. Uh, taught it to my company, if we're watching here, to, to, to our young subordinate leaders who just graduated college and, and it's changing the way that they achieve things in their life, both professionally and, and personally. But look at it from this standpoint. Um, you know, somebody who weighs 300 pounds, they, they want to they feel better and they want to lose that weight. They want to get to 200. Well, if you're just focusing on the number 200 and you're, you're three weeks into to working out and you've only lost five pounds, then, you know, after three weeks, somebody's like, I just, I can't do this. I, I quit. Right. I'm not seeing results. But if you had bro- broken it down, you know, every week, I just need to lead three, lose three pounds. And every week I'm going to do that and, you know, do the math. It, it, you know, that, that's, that's a few months. If you were just losing three pounds every week, right. before you know it, you're 200 pounds. And I think, you know, fitness is a great correlation here is like, hey, even if you want to build muscle, it's not going to happen overnight. I, I've got these two pictures. Me, when I was in uh, uh, the school of infantry, which is like literally my, which means like my fourth uh, month in the military, where I'm like 130 pounds. And then one where I'm like 200 uh, at 8% body fat uh, operating. And, and the difference was literally like 15 years. You know, I didn't really lift before the military. You know, they taught me how to, to, to lift weights as part of our, our, our physical regimen. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, over 15 years, I, I built to the point where I, I looked like a different person. Things take time, guys. You just have to accept and love the journey as much as the end goal. I guarantee when you get to the end goal, all you're going to be doing is looking back. Sort of that going through your own personal debrief. How did I get here? Either one, you know, smelling the, the, the roses of victory or, 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 you know, two, one, learning from it, or two, learning from it, is saying, hey, what did I learn? I, I reached my goal. Right. But what did I learn? And that's, that goes to, and I know we didn't start on this, you know, one of the best attributes we've seen in all great leaders, again, regardless of industry or domain or profession, is all of them are very self-reflective. And I'm getting even better as I get older at taking just time to stop and reflect and find out what I've learned. And what what um, is reflection does do? And sorry to jump in. Do, do you have a reflection practice? I know for me personally, I try to, um, to do post hocs on stuff. And I write in a journal every single day to say, Hey, what did I learn today? What could I have done better? Um, kind of doing it every single day. I think I did it started like three years ago and it's, it's been incredible. Um, do you, what's, what's your self-reflection look like? It is literally modeled over the, uh, the, the, the military after action, which really asks uh, a few questions. What, what was planned today? What really happened? What was, uh, what was successful? What did we learn from that? More importantly, what didn't go well or what are some areas for growth? I, I sort of asked those four questions uh, on a daily basis. Now the journaling part, we, we, went, we had a LinkedIn Live on Talent War Group uh, yesterday with the author of uh, The Attributes, great book. Uh, and that's written by a guy named Rich Devaney, who's a fellow, fellow SEAL and a former teammate of mine. 
um, and then two other special operations uh, soldiers, one a 75th Ranger Regiment uh, soldier, and then the uh, uh, Army Green Beret. And we all talked about the fact that some of the most successful people we've met, the best at what they did, were big journalers. They would journal all the time. They were always writing. Um, and in fact, we, we hand out these green notebooks uh, in the military. And some guys had like a volume of green notebooks throughout their 20 year career. I mean, just volumes about what they wrote and what they learned. And it's the tool they use to not only sharpen themselves, but to sharpen the, the people around them, the teams, the teams that ultimately make up the organization. Wow, that is that's incredible. That that just adds a little bit more. Uh, makes me feel good of some of those days. Maybe I don't want to write. I'm just gonna keep keep doing it, man. Because you never know, right? You know, I, I need to get better into like the voice uh, voice to write apps, so that journaling I can just talk, right? And it will uh, it'll transcribe it and put it into a a, a prolonged uh, journal. Yeah. Oh my God, that is so incredible. I want to get into the physical regimen and, and kind of what you're you know, post-military, what does that look like for you? Um, do you have some, some like, what does a daily routine look like for Mike Sorelli? So uh, I'm up around, my alarm is always set for uh, 4.15. And, and what time uh, do you go to bed? Uh, early. So uh, you, what's early? About 9 p.m. Okay. So you're still getting um, eight hours of sleep almost. Yeah, sleep's a, a big issue to me. So I, I got blown up a couple of times, just like my, you know, my fellow operators. Um, and some lesions on the brain, what they found that the, the brain uh, wasn't sending uh, the, the correct signals during sleep. So I got to wear a CPAP machine, which uh, I've worn that since the age of uh, 36. So very interesting. Um, so sleep is something I'm struggling with, but uh, you know, there's Another initiative I have, Men's Journal picked me up for something called The Everyday Warrior. We write articles monthly um, on, on living a life of impact. You know, we're championing the everyday warrior, which is you and me. You know, the single mom who has two kids and is holding uh, two jobs while, while start, trying to have a life of her own and stay in shape. I mean, that you talk about a warrior, that that is the definition of a, uh, a warrior. Um, but... Uh, you know, we talk about the, the power of habits and the power of routines. Um, it doesn't mean you're regimented. It doesn't mean you're overly strict, but I get up uh, at 4.15 to 4.30. Uh, I hit the gym, um, usually get my, my, my weightlifting workout in, get a bit of cardio, uh, and then I'll hit the steam room. I love the, the sauna for, uh, for about 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, I love just sweating it out. And then, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, I've got a home gym that's pretty badass. I call it the Small Minds Repair Shop. I'll have to send you a picture of it. Oh uh, yeah, I'd love to. Outside the garage, and, and then usually I, you know, I get a, a second workout in uh, that's quick, or even a thirty-minute walking, uh, thirty-minute walk walking my Dutch Shepherd who's laying at my feet here. <laughs> um, the power of walks, man. Um, one, uh, you know, a thirty-minute walk. Uh, you'll 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 keep off you know chronic heart disease. Uh, you know, you're, you're burning calories, you're helping the cardio, just even getting a brisk 30 minute walk in uh, does wonders for the human body. But regimented with the actual physical training part where you've got to be strictly disciplined is your diet. So if you look at somebody in the gym, who's like, you know, you go to the gym every day, like I do, and I see the same people, they're not growing, they're, they're not getting leaner. It just, even though they're, they're in there for two years straight, the bodies really aren't, uh, transforming and what it probably comes down to is their diet, their diet, hundred percent guarantee it. 
Um, hell, I did a, a photo shoot for Men's Journal on December 18th, and I was at 10% body fat uh, for the shoot. Um, and you can find it in Men's Journal. And then I went into a hip surgery less than one week later, I had a hip replacement. And now uh, I just had a DEXA scan uh, done and I'm, I'm at 18%. So that two, two months off, um, I, I completely got out of shape because like, there was precautions right. where I couldn't lift a weight or, or run or do any cardio. And even though I thought I was going to be super disciplined with my diet, like I'm actually, uh, actually am, everything went off. I like went into depression because it wasn't as, uh, I thought that the surgery was going to be quick and, and you know, painless from what other people uh, said. And that'd be in the gym within like two weeks. It wasn't the case. It took me a full eight weeks to get back into the gym to get cleared. Um, and now I got to get back in shape, but it, it's like no factor done. It's, but I'm not going to rush to try to lose that 8% body fat. It, that's going to take me two months, slow and steady and focus on just executing those, the, the, the regimen, the habits that I've, I've, I've had before. I'll get back there, no factor. Wow. So you're just taking the limits that you have, like you mentioned, and all right, this is just what we have to do now. Now, now you mentioned something about, you know, being depressed and, and obviously you've been through um, some very psychologically, you know, pressing times with, with wartime and some of the things that you've gone through. Um, do you have any kind of like meditation uh, or, or what kind of mental training do you do to just be able to, to function? The, uh, I'll tell you one, the, the, the training we go through to, to, to get into special operations, it's one big mind, you know what, it's a complete, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say the word, yep. they are messing with your mind. The reason they do that is the, they don't design the training to be sadistic because they like to see young men and women in pain trying out for the seals or the green berets. It's not the point. Right. They do it for a specific reason is they want to push you to your physical and mental in, uh, uh, limits. It is amazing when you push people to their physical and mental limits, their true selves, their, 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 their true character or lack thereof uh, comes out. It's like the phrase, adversity doesn't build character. It reveals it. If you've heard that before. Yes, I've heard well, that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you have adversity back to back to back, that usually builds it up. Almost like mental, things, cal mental calluses almost. Yes, exactly. And I've heard that phrase before as well. It's just like having been through 10 combat deployments, having, when you missed it, I was actually a recon Marine before I became a, uh, a Navy SEAL, which is a whole different selection process. Then I became a, uh, a Navy SEAL. And then I made it to an organization called JSOC, which is a, it's a whole nother uh, assessment and selection process. And then compared with my, my, my combat deployments and watching some of my brothers and sisters do the most just valorious, selflessly uh, valorious things on the battlefield on a nightly basis. And then some of them who are gravely wounded, blinded or, or lost both legs. And, and to watch them, uh, like Rob Jones, a Marine who lost both legs in Afghanistan. Uh, you, most people would just quit in that circumstance. What Rob did was he got his stick legs, got his little blades, learned to, to walk on his blades, then started learning to run. And after a while, he ran 31 marathons in 31 days with his, bla his blade legs. Wow. What, what's the worst that, that's going to happen to me? My, 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 my uh, power went out. It's 38 degrees in the, uh, right. in the house. You, you think of Rob and you're like, you know what, man? I've got no room to complain because this too will pass and we can, we can survive in 38 degree uh, weather. 
So do you believe that you have to go through some of those tough times to be able to overcome them? Or do you have a, like, when you're looking at a tough time, do you think like, okay, this is only going to make me stronger? Like, what's your mentality around tough times? Like, even when you were not as mentally calloused, maybe to some of these things, when you were trying, when you were growing those calluses, how did you try to overcome that? You know, nothing, nothing came easy to me in life. Again, I, I joined the Marine Corps. I've got to go back and find out what my true weight was. It was between like 120 and like 135. I, I was a little guy coming out of uh, out of high school, man. Right. Wasn't a natural athlete. Wasn't the best shot. Wasn't the best at jumping out of airplanes. Wasn't the fastest swimmer. Wasn't the strongest. It, it, and I, I, I hit adversity in everything I did. And I failed so often before I hit the SEAL teams that when you when you go into the SEAL training, you're going to fail. And people who have not really failed right. or their parents haven't allowed them to fail or allowed their, their, their children to learn from that failure and mentor them in the right way uh, end up in, in a very bad position in life that they can't deal with, uh, with adversity. And there's some people that come from, you know, they, they, their father wasn't around, uh, their mother was working two jobs and they, they, they just build those mental calluses and they end up to be some of the most resilient people you've ever met. It, resiliency can be built. It's just, you have to put yourself into that self-reflective process of every time you fail, one, you learn from it. Like you said, you don't lose, you learn. We've all heard that, that phrase. It's the truth in life. If you can embrace that, you're going to fail. That is inevitable and it's going to happen. And I held this up yesterday during our LinkedIn live session. That's how many times I failed today. Check marks. I learn and I'm going to move on. I'm not going to dwell on the past. Um, I'm going to keep moving. Uh, I keep moving no matter, uh, no matter what until uh, I am six feet in the grave. It's an incredible lesson. Like I could talk to you all day. I have a couple quick, more rapid fire questions before I want to jump into uh, the talent war briefly as well. Um, so if you were going to be teaching a college 101 class based upon your experience, what would that topic be and why? You don't know what you don't know. That would be uh, the, the title of the, uh, the class. And um, here's what I would want to do. And here's where I think there's a major gap in education today. Is we're not reinforcing critical thinking. Is, is giving our young, our young future leaders of America who right now are five years old in preschool is giving them information and helping them shape their, their own opinion on their, like just pointing them, giving them different perspectives. Well, have you thought about it from this perspective? Have you thought about it from this perspective, from this lens? Um, we're not reinforcing the ability to critically, uh, critically think. I think a lot of our higher education professors are just uh, cramming ideology down, uh, down our kids' mouths, which, which is unfortunate. Um, I think leadership training in, in, and I know we're getting way off topic here, leadership training uh, doesn't even exist in grade school, high school, or higher education. Why is that? We should be teaching these attributes to, to our children. Uh, we should be creating the future leaders. We should be putting them into uh, situations with conflict in order to, to maturate them and reinforce the resiliency we're talking about and help them with conflict re resolution. Uh, and we're just not doing that. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I would basically reinforce that you don't know what you don't know, right. uh, critical thinking, and then really encourage them to just get in, get out there and in their twenties, especially 
just live life. Do everything. Do everything. Wow. That is incredible advice. You said something about parenting earlier and you mentioned kids as well. My wife and I have a one-year-old son right now. What is the best piece of parenting advice you have? Besides teaching him, critical thinking. <laughs> yeah. Let him fail. Let him fail and be there to pick them up, help pick them up and help them go through the reflection period and learn from it. And, uh, you, you know, we set up our young seals to, to, to fail in training because we'd rather have them fail in the United States on a training ground and learn from it rather than make that same mistake in a theater like Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria, where the, the consequences and the outcomes can be uh, a lot more severe. Wow. That is, I mean, yeah, the, you, you nailed it on the head. Um, so I, now I want to talk about the talent war. You wrote this book uh, as we're wrapping up here. Could you tell everybody what it's about, what, uh, why you wrote it, and, and what the main objective was behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, the uh, the talent one. I know you'll, you'll you'll probably throw some graphics up in the, the links, but um, as I transitioned out of the military, and even though I got an, uh, an MBA, even at the end of the two year MBA, I'm like, damn, I don't know what I want to do. Um, and it was it was shortly after that I realized I had talked with some people, some executive search uh, consultants from some of the top firms just by way of networking, and they were passionate about building teams. And they're passionate about, passionate about talent. And I'm like, I love the subjects of teams and, and human performance and, and, and how you build those teams and how you build cultures and how you manage your, your leaders uh, and elevate them to a point where you're no longer needed, where your young leaders no longer need you to solve their problems. And uh, they, they take the organization to the next level. And I was turned on to executive search. And, and trust me, if someone had told me I would be in the human resources uh, sort of profession, uh, the last like two years of my SEAL career, I probably would have taken that as an insult and, and at the time probably punched them in the nose. I'm, I'm joking, <laughs> violence never uh, solves anything. But um, so as I got into it, I started something called Vetted Foundation with the help of Admiral Bobby Inman, uh, Bob Pearson, Admiral William McRaven, General Tony Cucolo, and, and it was successful. It was basically, we created a, like an MBA light within uh, 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 like six to eight weeks. Um, and, and we put veterans through it and they were highly successful. The metrics were amazing, but ultimately that was a nonprofit and, and shut down. Vetted then became something called EF Overwatch, which we have today. And as I talk with small to mid, uh, medium-sized business leaders who are good Americans, who have, again, have built most of their companies, they're like, hey, listen, I know about sales. I know about manufacturing or I know about uh, consulting or I know about whatever whatever they do, the hard skills of it. Like, I don't know how to build teams. I don't know how to hire well. No one ever taught me. They, talent acquisition HR is not really a subject that's taught in the MBA programs. It's not. Right. And so, you know, it's the one thing that the special operations community has built um, an expertise in is how to assess people and how to bring them into your organization, how to bring the right people into your organization and then how to maturate them, how to accelerate and develop them. And so we wanted to take some of the practices that the special operations community learned while also studying the, the business uh, world, because there's some organizations that do it very well and put it into a book. And you know, the best thing about this book that we've gotten is like, thank God you didn't dive into like deep level uh, cognitive uh, psychology 
Um, this just ha- this comes down to somebody who's as, as a business leader, you, you're you're everywhere. You, 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 we just wanted to teach you the basics of what to look for in, right. in talent assessment and then uh, integrate it into your hiring process and start building just amazing uh, teams. Mike, that is so incredible. Besides talent, where, where, could, where could everybody find you? So at uh, EF Overwatch, EFOverwatch.com, um, you can find me, uh, you know, on Men's Journal. Just type in the Everyday Warrior and we're starting to publish a lot more. And then uh, we may have some big announcements coming out uh, from uh, Men's Journal uh, as well as uh, my own podcast starting. So uh, excited for that as well. That is incredible, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. I hope everybody got as much value as I did. And, uh, and, and best of luck, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Good, good to uh, work with you. And thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I hope you guys all got as much out of it as I did. If you enjoyed the show, please share it along with your friends as that's the best way that we could spread all this incredible information from our guests. If you'd leave a review of the show on Apple or Spotify, it would mean the absolute world to me. Until next time, cheers. Until next time, Cheers. Until next time. 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 Cheers. Until next time.